do this. Let's talk about talk. Well, hello there. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Thanks for listening. Talk About Talk is where you can learn to communicate more effectively so you can advance your career and improve your relationships with everyone around you. We're releasing podcasts bi-weekly every second week and email blogs every week. If you go to talkabouttalk.com, you can see the full archive of all the communication skills topics that we've covered in the podcasts and the email blogs. Today's episode's focused on emotions, as in positive emotions, negative emotions, their effects on us intrapersonally and interpersonally, how emotions affect our relationships, and in different contexts, like at work, at home, in formal negotiations, and in everyday interactions. We're going to up our emotional intelligence. And we're very fortunate to have Tatiana Astray with us for this episode. She conducts research and teaches all about emotions, and I'll introduce you to her in just a moment. In this episode, you're going to learn a lot, I promise, including what emotions are and how they differ from feelings, specific positive and negative emotions, and five specific tactics that can help you improve your communication effectiveness right now through emotional expression. Are you ready? All right. A few of you have mentioned to me that you really appreciate the summaries that I've been providing at the end. So here's how this episode will unfold. I'm going to introduce Tatiana and then we'll get right into the interview. After the interview, I'm going to pull out the key learnings and summarize everything for you. So good news for you. Once again, you don't have to take notes. Not at all. Just sit back and listen. Or maybe you're going for a walk or doing some housework. Whatever you're doing, just enjoy. As always, this summary is easily available to you later on the talkabouttalk.com website. Okay, let me introduce Tatiana to you now and then we'll get right into the interview. Tatiana Astray has a BSc in psychology, an MSc in marketing and consumer studies, and she's currently a doctoral candidate in organization studies at York University at the Schulich School of Business. She's lectured at the University of Guelph, Ryerson, the Ivy School, and Schulich. Her current research focuses on generating insights and strategies that professionals can use to improve their working relationships and enhance their negotiation outcomes. So she focuses on things like professional relationships, trust, interpersonal emotions, and body language. As you'll hear, Tatiana's passionate about translating and applying this academic research for business people, and she creates negotiation workshops and consults to firms. In her spare time, Tatiana sits on the board of Jumpstart Refugee Talent, and she volunteers with NGOs that specialize in the economic empowerment of underserved communities. Impressive, right? Well, just listen to what she has to say about emotions. Thank you so much, Tatiana, for joining us here today to talk about emotions. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. I thought the best place to start would be with definitions. Can you share with me and the listeners, what is the definition of an emotion? I actually love to start a class asking people to reflect on what they think emotions mean. Most of the time people complain feelings with emotions, but they're actually very specific things. So emotions are a physiological reaction. It is an action tendency and it has a subjective experience. It's usually high in intensity, short in duration, and it's always directed towards an object or person or an event. Now this is important because what this means is it's prepping the body for something 
And there is no such thing as you're just having emotions out of nowhere. They're always related to something. So anytime you're feeling something, but you don't know what, that's usually a good sign to pause and figure out like what is triggering that. Mm. That's, a, that's a sign for you to- Yeah, the word that came to mind when you were describing that is trigger, right? You say yes. you trigger this emotion or- Exactly. Or you get triggered. Absolutely, absolutely. That is an emotion. Versus- Versus some people will have, oh, they're just a feeling, they're, they're subjective experiences, but this definition is important because it shows us that it's a body component. It's trying to prepare your body for a specific action. So for example, anger is about boundaries. And so if you allow yourself to express anger, that's you learning to put up a wall where you need to, right? If you suppress the anger in that moment, you basically violate your boundary and you allow people to continue doing the things that you don't want. And I will say uh, two other important distinctions with emotions is that there's intrapersonal effects. So how the way I feel impacts what I'm doing, the way I'm acting and interpersonal effects, which is the way that my emotions are expressed, the way it impacts you specifically. And at that level, emotions become this like body dance where they help people to coordinate behavior and they help to maintain and deepen relationships. And that, that's really my area of expertise. So would you say that the intrapersonal feeling is still part of the emotion just before it gets expressed? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So if you think about it in stages, when you're feeling an emotion that's giving you a little bit of information of what's happening inside of you, it's telling you a piece of information about the person in front of you. And then the way you express it, you know, you can either express it in a way that kind of helps the relationship or hinders the relationship. And that's really where, like, when people say emotional intelligence, that's really what they're talking about. Your ability to effectively express what you're feeling in a way that benefits the relationship and the situation. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to get quoted on that one. <laughs> because I'm a visual learner, I'm imagining as you're describing this and defining this, that there's almost like a decision tree or at least a flow chart where there is, as you said, some sort of trigger. It could be a person or a thing or an event, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And then an interpretation by the person. Is there something like that that you can share that has stages? First of all, our attention picks things up. So depending on how we're feeling, what we're focused on, it's gonna pick up specific cues. Right. Then, you know, someone will say something and if you're in a good mood, you actually interpret it in a slightly more positive way. Then you give it a cognitive meaning. The meaning is, oh, you care about me, you're having a good time, I'm doing great. And then there's your response, which might be the smile, right? Now, let's say you're in a bad mood, then I see your smile I'm not sure what that means. My cognitive meaning might be like, oh, she's faking it. She's not really being genuine. And then my response might be that suppression and that like suspicion. So it's a multi-stage process. It's super complex because it's related to what you're feeling, what you're expressing, which we never actually know. Like in my research, I, I have found that the correlation between what you think you're expressing and what you're actually expressing, not, not significant, <laughs> zero correlation. That's scary. But the way I code you expressing back to me is really what's gonna define how I respond to you. When you break these things down and when you understand what you should be expressing, it allows you to actually signal the things that you need to to make sure that you understand what the person is responding to and to give the actual body cues that deepen relationships and bring them together. And some of that could be implicit, probably more likely implicit, but it could also be explicit, right? Yeah, it's, it's a very complicated dance of both. It's a very complicated dance of both, so is what I'm going to say. Yeah, you were talking about how the part that is statistically valid is when you're interpreting what the other person is. Absolutely, absolutely. So, for example, in the data, it's basically the way I code your behavior is what predicts what I'm taking out of the situation and whether or not I'm enjoying it, whether or not I'm uh, going to give you something in a negotiation, do I want to continue working with you? 
So if you think about the implication of that, it's people are responding to the way you're acting, the way you are physically acting, not the not, way you think you're acting. Right. So it's certainly not what you're thinking. Right? Never what you're thinking. It's what you're expressing. Absolutely. And so like when that light bulb goes off, then you realize like, you have to become very aware of what you're doing because your intentions mean deadly squat in your interactions with people. Mm. It's what you're actually expressing that matters. Can you tell us a little bit about your dissertation research and maybe some other research papers that you're working on? Sure. So my entire research agenda, I would summarize in one sentence, which means that it pays to be pro-social. So I just want to create... It pays to be pro-social. Yes. So I want to create the research that shows that being a nice, kind, cooperative, trustworthy person gets you more in your work interaction. So that, that's the core of everything I want to do. Is that based on a hypothesis or based on research that you've done? So it's actually based on things I've read, things I've seen. My basic idea is to combat this idea that we have to be selfish to win in the corporate ladder. I don't think that's very helpful because selfish people end up being taken down by others. People don't trust them. They don't want to work with them. And so there's this discrepancy between what we're told that works in society and what actually does. We're social creatures, and so if you know how to play with others, you're going to succeed in the workplace. My dissertation specifically looks at what is an effective, productive working relationship and how that impacts negotiation behaviors and negotiation outcomes to really correlate that at the individual and mm. interpersonal level. And then some other research I have uh, looks at the role of collective emotional expressions and how that impacts negotiation behaviors, negotiation outcomes, and again, that desire to work together again. So let's get into that with yeah. negotiations. Is your research showing that negative emotions are bad or have a bad outcome in negotiations? So in any interaction, you're going to have a multitude of emotional expressions. You're going to have anger, happiness, a little bit of validation, enthusiasm. You might have a bit of sadness. And it's not about expressing any one specific quote unquote negative emotion. It's about the overall emotional tone of the interaction, okay. how it's going back and forth. And can you limit particularly negative emotional expressions? So in a negotiation context, my research shows that that might be, are you engaging in threats? Are you whining? Are you actually showing fear? And um, Have you mapped some of these behaviors to, it wouldn't be to what people think they're expressing, it's to what people are interpreting? Absolutely. So I get people to do negotiation simulations with people they don't know. I ask them to tell me the cues of what is happening in the interaction. Mm -hmm. I don't tell them the emotional label because a lot of the times people don't really know what anger or contempt looks like. I just give them the cues. And then I also capture a bunch of outcome variables like were you satisfied with the interaction? Do you want to have a relationship with the person? What were your ideal outcomes? Mm -hmm. And then I basically map the emotional expressions at the dyadic level to what, what actually happened in that dyad and does that dyad want to continue working together? Okay. And I can tell you some preliminary findings. Emotional expressions are highly predictive of people's desire to work together. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, no, it is. And it's very exciting because I get to show from a research perspective that when you don't need to hide your emotional expressions, that actually hinders people's desire to work with you. And I show people the actual specific cues to make people want to work with you again. Ah. So what do you think the number one emotional expression is to make people want to work with you again? Number one. A smile. Enthusiasm. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you meant the behavior. 
Yeah, but actually, so a smile is part of it, but enthusiasm is a little bit more than just a smile. It's literally saying, I am so excited to be here and work with you. And to really let yourself express that emotion can make such a huge difference for people. I have to say, I'm so happy to hear that because people have described me as very enthusiastic. <laughs> you know what's funny? Since learning this, I've learned to be more enthusiastic, especially when I meet people and use that word in my email. So one of the first things I'll do is I'm so excited to hear from you. Oh, that's a great Science tip hack. for the listeners. Yes. So if you want someone to interpret it, write it. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things through email that I found is that because it's so devoid of emotional information, people don't really know where they stand with you. But the problem is in the absence of information, because we have a negativity bias, people aren't gonna interpret that as you're not being interested. So it's exceptionally important to put those really few emotional positive cues just to make a person feel safe in the interaction to know that like, yeah, you are engaged and you do wanna interact with this person. Okay, so there's so many things to unpack in what you just said. <laughs> I just wrote like four things down. Wonderful. So we have a negativity bias. Yes. And yeah. would you say, or is there research that shows that maybe that's why enthusiasm is so important because it's conquering that negativity bias? So part of it comes from an evolutionary standpoint. So when you meet someone new, you have no idea if they're a friend or a foe right? So you're, I get it. So you have your defenses up. That's exactly. the negativity bias. Exactly. Got right. It. Because it's much better to be safe than sorry, mm -hmm. because it's better to survive than die. It's evolutionarily built in all of us. Now, there are some people that are naturally just predisposed to, to be a little bit more trusting, a little bit more expressive. And there's a lot of people that are kind of resistant. I'm going to call them matchers. So they kind of wait to see the first emotional cue from someone. Now, depending on what kind of person you are, if you don't realize that people are being a little hesitant, people are going to read that hesitation as you're not a trustworthy person. So that first cue, just to be enthusiastic, basically shows like, hi, I'm here, I'm a friend, and I'm excited to be with you. Mm. I promise you, once you start kind of using this cue, you're going to realize that people open up a lot quicker. So it's almost like there's nothing to lose by communicating enthusiasm. And furthermore, it accelerates the relationship, or at least your understanding of the other person. Absolutely. Okay. So then the other thing I wanted to ask you what do you think about emojis? I think they're great in the sense that they can add a little bit of a friendly tone. I don't necessarily think they're professional. So with your work colleagues, if you have a more personal relationship, sure. If you do not know the person, I don't advise that. I, I've read research to suggest it, it feels unprofessional. Yeah, I think it depends on the age too. I've read, I've read a little bit of research on that too. And there's different cohorts or generations of people that will interpret different punctuation. Never mind, um, absolutely emojis. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. My rule is I wouldn't be putting emojis in emails where you know I'm, for example, giving a proposal to do a training program at a company. But if it's a little bit of a closer relationship, especially if I'm concerned that something might be misinterpreted, yeah. I would put the emoji in. So. Yeah, I agree. And another good place to put it is when someone sends it to you, you need to match to let them know that it's safe in this relationship to express that. So anytime someone sends me a smiley face, I'll send them a nice message back with that smiley face as well, just to say, we are on the same page mm -hmm. and like you don't have to worry to yeah. be misinterpreted so here. So mirroring the style of communication. Yes, that's very important. There's lots of research to suggest that mirroring is one way that we feel safe safe in relationships. So you started to answer this question previously, but I just want to ask you specifically, can expressing emotions, even the negative ones, signal that we feel open and comfortable with someone? Yes. Okay. 
Three other social functions of emotional expressions at the interpersonal level is to know intentions, it's to evoke complementary behaviors and reinforce behaviors. Okay. Okay. In a relationship, these things are very important. Now, when we think about anger, anger is basically saying, look, I have a boundary. It's quote unquote a negative emotion, but it actually serves a very important relationship because you're teaching someone your limits and you're teaching them to treat you nicely. If you express that in a direct, assertive way and the person responds, you actually strengthen the relationship because now they know you better. Now you've reinforced that behavior. Even sadness, for example, we have sadness to elicit uh, someone to take care of us. Expressing sadness is great, especially if it's met by caretaking. So these negative emotions are great in relationships. They strengthen our bonds. But there's a whole class of other emotional expressions such as threats or engaging in criticism or defensiveness or stonewalling. And all of those are very detrimental. So thinking of a negotiations context, what are the emotions that are critical, either positive or negative in terms of their effect on negotiation outcomes? So actually, let me go back to this idea of sadness. One way sadness is bad. Two-way sadness is great. Basically saying, Uh, I'm so sorry I can't make this deal, but I want to work with you, preserves that negotiation uh if it's matched back, right? So it's both people saying, I'm sorry, this time doesn't work. Again, it's that dance. It's not a one-way expression. It is the dance at the interpersonal level. Threats are very bad in negotiation. So anytime you say something like, if you do this, I'm walking away, you are- Yeah, if-then statements, right? Exactly. If-then, very bad. Anytime you are defensive in a negotiation, so someone tells you what their needs are and you basically say, yeah, well, I have these other needs and you don't speak to their concern, very bad. And again, whining in fear. So what is the emotion that whining is is communicating? I think it's almost like trying to elicit manipulation from someone. Ah. Uh. Right? Because it's like, why don't you give me something? It sounds like manipulation. You're right. It is. It's almost like inducing guilt in someone. Like, why don't you give me more? This is so unfair. It's not, it's not a way to have an assertive conversation, like a, a proper one with clear channels. Yeah. So to all the listeners out there who tell their kids not to whine, you can tell them that there's research that demonstrates is not effective in negotiations. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But, but let me also speak to the positive emotions because negative emotions will decrease someone's desire to work with you and give you concessions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to make people want to work with you again. For that, you need positive emotions. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? Again, number one, enthusiasm, which is like why I'm preaching it now. Enthusiasm is very important. Another one that's very important is validation. So basically showing that you understand someone's perspective, even if you don't agree with it, Mm. right? And I think that makes people feel better because it doesn't mean you have to uh, completely give into a person's demand, but but it has to be something like, hey, I understand why you want that position. I would want that too. Unfortunately, these are my limits. Yeah. I I feel like I've heard and read that consistently with uh, a lot of the EQ stuff, right? It's demonstrating you've heard something, you understand it, and you're validating it, but you're not saying you agree with it. Absolutely. Another very important one is expressing interest. So what that means is allowing your body to lean in, nod, go "Mm -hmm." the way I am right now. (laughs) Absolutely. And also asking more questions and paraphrasing what the person said so all of that basically says that you are listening to the person and you're interested in finding out more makes sense yeah it sounds so obvious but for some reason in our culture we don't talk about that yeah and the last tip I want to kind of give I'm gonna leave you with this idea of the positivity ratio so whenever you're interacting with someone you want to always check for the overall tone It's fine to express a bit of sadness and anger, but that can't be the only emotion you're expressing, you know? 
So in my research, what it looks like is that it's best to express about three positive emotions to one negative in a negotiation context or minimize the negative as much as you can. That's a great tool just to like sit there and say, okay, what is the general tone? Did I acknowledge that? you know, this person listened, did I validate them? Did I show them I'm interested? And if so, then yeah, then express a bit of sadness and express a bit of anger. Like that's completely fine. So keep it real, but keep it positive. Yes, that's a really great quote. Keep it real and keep it positive. I'm gonna be using that from now on. We're gonna be quoting each other. I love it, yeah. So so can you share an example maybe that you've used to illustrate this when you're doing corporate training or maybe maybe even in one of your academic papers where this might be relevant to a personal context? Okay, wonderful. One of the ways I actually start this is did you know we could predict divorce with a ninety-four percent accuracy? Oof. Basically, there's this great researcher called John Gottman, and back in the 70s, he used to put couples in this hotel room and videotape them having everyday discussions and conflict discussions. And what he found is by coding the emotional expressions of those interactions, he could predict short-term and long-term divorce with a 94% accuracy. Wow. Basically. So let me tell you the tip to know whether or not you should be scared. (laughs) Now, there's a curvilinear relationship, and it's met in a specific point. So... The relationships that stay together have five positive to one negative emotional expressions. Okay. Where you were talking about three to one, he's saying He's five saying to five, five to one in yeah. personal relationships. With the absence of criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So those are very particular negative ones that will result in a divorce. Uh, now, too much positive and no negative predicts long-term divorce because you're not discussing the things that uh, matter. Right. And too much negative emotions actually predicts early divorce because, of course, who wants to be in an interaction that's uh, unpleasant? What's actually very interesting is this concept of the positivity ratio has also been used uh, to look at um, exec teams and how they perform during strategic planning. Um, so what they did was they got execs to talk about a strategic annual plan and they divided the teams based on their performance, so how profitable they were, customer satisfaction and 360 uh, degree performance. And they coded what was said based on praise to criticism. And so what's cool, Mm -hmm. again, we find the highest performing teams had a 5.6 positive to one negative verbal expression. And the lowest performing teams had almost like a one to one ratio. So again, consistently, what the research is starting to say is that you have to express positive emotions. And it has to be in this context where the negative ones have to be present, but the positive ones have to outweigh it. Ah. Yeah. That's, that's a great tip. I guess it's a great goal. It is a great goal. And what's wonderful is if you know this number, honestly, anytime you're on the phone with someone, have a little tally card and just literally count up how many positive emotions you have you that? expressed. I train my students to do it. I haven't personally done it only because I've gotten used to like being very positive. You're telling in your brain anyway, right? I am. I am. I always start off every interaction. I have to throw in those positive emotions just so it can buffer everything else. Well, that's another tip. Start out with the enthusiasm, but then add a few more to buffer the positive interpretation. Because the thing is, you know, in relationships, people are willing to have those difficult discussions. They're willing to hear you out. They're willing um, to hold a container for you being frustrated and positive if they know you care about them. Mm-hmm. Those enthusiastic cues up front basically say, hey, I'm here and I want to interact with you and, and let's let's engage, let's problem solve, let's get creative. Right. So I want to ask you this question, which is when I'm feeling a negative emotion, so intrapersonally, I am feeling yes. angry or I'm feeling rage or I'm feeling jealousy or in a negotiation context, maybe I'm feeling threatened, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to not communicate that emotion. Do you have any 
tips for how to regulate that emotion? Okay. One of the things I want to say is you should never suppress your emotions, which means if you feel bad, mm -hmm. you're going to try ignoring that you feel bad and push it down and try to tell yourself, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. That's not going to help. Actually, what's going to happen is your blood pressure is yeah. going to go up. Your heart rate's going to go up. It's exceptionally unhealthy from a physiological perspective. Eventually it's bad for subjective well-being. Like yeah. th there are huge studies to say that suppressing emotions is very bad from a physiological so, perspective. So what we hear, yes. right, in our culture is don't keep it all bottled up. Yes. But I'm talking about tactically in a specific situation where, you know, it's an intense negotiation, let's just say for the sake of illustration, and I can't let the person know that I feel so threatened. And I would say there are certain situations where you wouldn't want that to happen, especially when someone has more power over you. Exactly. Research shows if you express anger, even if you, you justly should feel angry, that person will hold it against you yeah. and punish you in some way later. So mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. You feel bad. This is a reality. This is a strong physiological reaction. Yeah. It's calling your body to do something, but you can't express it in that moment. What do you do? You go to the bathroom. This is actually what I suggest or ask to take a formal break or say you need a bit of a break and you'll come back to it in the morning. You have to give your body time to wash that out. Okay. So generally the hormones related to anger have a half-life of rounds out to about 13 minutes. Okay. So basically- I thought you were gonna say a lot longer than that. No, so. <laughs> no, it's a lot shorter. So for example, if you're ever in a business situation or a personal situation and it's way too intense, take a 20 minute break and come back to the conversation. Mm -hmm. If you're managing someone, let's say a performance review and they're getting excessively frazzled, say you have to take a call and give them 20 minutes and come back to it. Some of the other things you can do is engage in breathing techniques because that activates your parasympathetic nerve that calms your body down and it tells you that you're in a safe space. So there's a few breathing techniques that I always recommend. Uh, the first is box breathing, which is, so four seconds in, yep. you hold for four seconds, you exhale for four seconds, and you hold it for four seconds. And you repeat that for about a few minutes. That's something that the Navy SEALs do in their own training. You can also engage in deep belly breathing, which is basically putting your arm on your stomach and your chest and making sure you're breathing from your abdomen and not your chest. Right, because so, it's shallow breathing through your chest, right? And deep breathing through your belly. Exactly. Yeah. So as you're giving your body those cues, that's what allows you to kind of bring yourself down. Another quick thing I will say, which is really fun from an evolutionary perspective, when you are angry, you do not think rationally. There's polyvagal theory. When a person's stressed and angry, there's something in the ears that modulate to low tone frequencies because what they're looking for is predators literally when you're very upset you can't hear what the person in front of you is saying mm. because your body's in a state of stress which i think is phenomenal um it also it's phenomenal to know it's phenomenal to know <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing because it basically means the moment you're in that space you're not having a rational conversation so you have to take yourself out another thing i will say is if you are triggered and it doesn't seem to equate to the external stimulus. So for mm. example, if someone says something and you take it way more personally than you should, which happens even in a negotiation, because you might think like, oh, that person's trying to take advantage of me or you get really angry about something, there is a good chance that you have some unresolved trauma that you need to work through. The reason- Do you mean something unrelated? Completely unrelated, Okay. right. Actually in my teaching, I see that a lot, interestingly enough, right? So people come in and they're very upset about a situation or they feel like they can't trust or someone took advantage of them. But if you break down what's happening, it's unresolved trauma. And that moment is gonna keep triggering them until they sit down, they process it and they figure out what's happening. Okay. 
I keep thinking of in psychology just attribution theory and to what are we attributing people's behavior and and it could we we can now just kind of take that idea and say to what am I attributing my feelings yeah. and if it's out of proportion there's got to be something else going on yeah and a lot of the time we take for granted what we're observing so we're making a lot of attributions and I know one attribution bias is that we understand the context and complexity of our lives so of course we would never do anything bad but to other people we see them have one bad day and we go that's a bad person right they're short-tempered they're impatient but no maybe they missed lunch maybe they just had a fight with their spouse right so understanding that difference means giving people a break not taking things so personally and if you cannot do that if you get so triggered when someone says something, it means it's you, it's not them, right? It's mm-hmm. you. So you have to learn to navigate your internal world so you can show up in relationships in an assertive and direct manner. And one kind of last tip in this area I will say is you're getting overwhelmed most likely because you don't have tools and scripts to deal with difficult situations. So the moment anything comes up or you're being challenged, you freak out, you freeze. And again, that threatening response yeah. is what shuts you down. Because you're feeling helpless. You don't, exactly. You don't have an alternative, really. You don't have a plan. Yeah. If that's happening, what that means is you should start reading books about communication and relationships. And Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Learn some scripts about how to articulate your needs in a, non, a non-aggressive manner. And so it's your job to learn to navigate these relationships and respond in a way that you're advancing your needs and also being respectful and caring to the person in front of you. So my next question is actually about navigating those relationships, whether it's personal or mm-hmm. professional. Do we all feel the same emotions or are there differences? Is there like a segmentation scheme and across what factors might they vary? That's a really great question. Interestingly enough, when I asked this question of do we all feel the same emotions to an MBA class full of lots of very smart people, I will get anywhere between 30 to 70% saying we do not feel the same emotions, which I think is mind boggling because we're all humans. We all share the same physiology at the end of the day. Now, to answer that question, Paul Ekman ended up going to a tribe that was not contacted by the outside world, and he started videotaping their emotional expressions, and he started showing them different expressions from different cultures and asked them, like, what is the story of this emotional expression? Mm. Basically, what he found is that there's no such thing as someone, let's say, showing an angry face when they're happy or someone smiling when they're angry. Naturally, naturally, there's no such thing. There are seven emotional expressions, give or take. There's some research contest. Oh, I wanna hear what the seven are. (laughs) Yeah. So there's seven emotional expressions that basically are core emotions that we all express. So it's enjoyment, fear, disgust, contempt, surprise, sadness, and anger. There are, of course, different variations, and then there's secondary emotions, which is something like guilt, compassion, right? But those are the core emotions we all feel. Now, culture gives us cues for what is okay to express and how. Okay. So there's a great study that put Americans and Japanese to watch a movie. So Japanese are known to be a little bit more reserved. So you might assume that they're not feeling emotions, right? Now, when both cultural groups didn't think that they were being watched, both the Americans and the Japanese expressed the same emotions at the exact same time throughout the movie. In the same way or similarly. Exactly, in the same way. But when they thought they were being watched, only the Americans expressed emotions. Oh, interesting. That is really interesting. That's a very powerful lesson about the role of culture in moderating how we express, but also to, to suggest just because someone isn't expressing something the way you would expect, it doesn't mean they're not feeling it. So the onus falls on you to try to be a little bit more patient and be a little bit more expressive and ask them what they're thinking, right? One of the things I say is just because you learn how to read body language, it doesn't mean you're a mind reader, 
That's right. And there are people out there who have studied body language that are misguiding you by faking it. Oh right? my God. I I have to say that's one of my hugest pet peeves. I'm sure. I hate, I hate people that call themselves experts that do not ground anything that they know in facts. And this is so upsetting because they're perpetrating false narratives. They're giving people the wrong tools and... In that moment where you genuinely want to learn and improve, you might think that there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. because you're following this thing that experts, I'm using quotes, experts say you should do and it's not working. Well, it's not working. So are you talking about body language coaches? I'm talking about lots of different types of coaches, right. but body language coaches. Yeah. Because so when I started looking at people in pop culture and, and just people like writing books about it. I started looking at I their... Th- I can think of the names. I know who you're talking Yeah. I started looking at the CVs and I'm like, I remember recently I saw someone saying to be a body language expert and he was a doctor. He was a chiropractic doctor. Yeah, I know. I think we all have valuable knowledge, but just be honest about what you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got to bring that in. Oh. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Tatiana? Tell us. What emotion are you feeling right now? Oh my God. I'm not amused. I'm not, <laughs> not amused. That's funny. That is funny. What about males versus females? Ah, that is an interesting one. Interestingly enough, uh, when women have neutral faces, it gets coded as negative by males, right? So this, this speaks to this idea of like people always saying, well, you should smile more specifically to women. In our culture, we do not like women having neutral faces. And there's a study that actually even used like famous celebrity women who showed that this idea of quote unquote resting bitch face is just a woman having a neutral face. Right. right. I was actually just going to say that. If your face needs to rest, give yourself a break. Like it needs to rest. But also know that males and females have to express more positive emotions in their relationships. Another interesting one, for example, is when men speak up in meetings, it's seen as taking initiative and is rewarding. But when females do it, they're seen as rude and they actually get pinged. So again, there's all these cultural cues that we put on top of gender that really misconstrue what the person is feeling. And another huge difference is women are allowed to express sadness, but they can't express anger. And men are allowed to express anger, but they can't express sadness. So what you get is a lot of the time you'll find women cry when they're angry and they don't even know that they're feeling angry because they've been so conditioned to suppress it. And if anger is about boundaries, right? It's so fascinating because it's basically women's boundaries being violated and them not knowing that they need to act and assertively say, no, this isn't okay. That is really interesting. Yes. Is it changing over time, do you think? I think it's important to note that we all feel the same emotions regardless of gender and culture. And if we start from that place and we start learning how to express ourselves, we can cultivate uh, relationships that are genuine and that can be a starting point to have more honest discussions and maybe start changing corporate culture. Mm -hmm. Academia is very powerful in just debunking cultural myths, right? So we can stop saying this idea of like, oh, women are so emotional and men are so rational. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. But I do know it's wrong. (laughs) I can imagine that that would confuse you. Yeah. That would mean that that makes me very upset. But when you have this research and you, let's say, laid out to business students or execs, then they start shifting the way they see people and their employees. And I, I do see a big difference in my students when they walk out because they email me years later saying, you know what, what you taught me helped. And um, last year, I'm so thrilled. I actually had someone's wife uh, message me through the students saying like, thank you, because I've noticed a difference in wow, my husband. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so exciting because I focus on negotiations in the business context, but at the end of the day, we're all humans, we're social. And so... Everything's about managing social relationships. And once you learn that skill, it transfers over to all these different aspects of your life. 
Is there anything else in terms of advice that you have for listeners related to emotions and optimizing their communication? You know what? I'm going to leave you with this message that I share to all my students. A lot of the times you might sit there and say, oh, that person's kind of making me feel bad. I promise you it's not them, it's you. (laughs) It's you. So if you start with the assumption that it's you, now all of a sudden you have the responsibility and the ability to go do something about it. Start investing in yourself by learning to meditate, learning to regulate your emotions, learning what anger and sadness feels like in your body, and start to also pick up communication tools and practicing them. So how to, say, uh, how to speak your boundaries, how to express your needs, how to make demands of people, how to say no to people. And from that space with all those tools, all your relationships are gonna improve. Once you learn to express yourself differently, people are just automatically gonna respond to you differently. That's, that's a worthy endeavor. It's, it's exciting. And it's empowering, right? It's, so it's not empowering. you, it's me. Okay, it's my turn. Yeah. You need to step up. And um, the last thing I wanna say is, if you do your work and the counterpart isn't matching you, then you've learned something valuable about that relationship and you, wanna, you might wanna walk away or put some you know, contingencies in place to protect you from people. So not only does this deepen relationships, but it will show you which are the good ones in your life and which are the bad ones. Mm. I think that's an amazing thing to know because then you can just invest your time in the people that matter to you. Okay. Now we're gonna shift to the five rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question, what are your pet peeves? Uh, People walking in the middle of the street. I find this very upsetting because I can't walk around them. People who say schedule instead of schedule. That's funny. That's a very specific one, but I like when I hear it in a business meeting, I just, part of me just like clicks off and goes, oh, that sounded wrong. And that squeaky noise a knife makes on plates. Like I have left restaurants when I realized like that was a thing that was gonna be happening all night. I can't handle it. Really? Yeah, it like sends down a weird shiver in my spine and I like I have a physical reaction to it. Interesting. It's very strange. Question number two, what type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or some other kind of learner? You know what? I actually learn through having a personal connection to the material independent of the medium. So if I know it's important, if I see the relevance in my life, I will dive deep into it. But if someone's just telling me some sort of theory, it really doesn't matter like how they're presenting it. I'm just going to check out. Mm, so it's almost like experiential learner? Yeah, I, th- I think that, that must be what it is. Okay. Yeah. Question number three, introvert or extrovert? I am an introvert who has learned to be an extroverted introvert. While I enjoy mixing with lots of people and I'll do it, I feel extremely exhausted afterwards. Okay. And I literally need to go in a dark space and be by myself. Okay, you are an introvert. Interesting. Okay, question number four. Communication preference for personal conversations. You know what I love? Voice messages. I love voice messages. Interesting. Um, Because emotions are expressed through our body, our face, and our voice. And our voice is super rich. Okay, last question. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most? I have to recommend four. Okay. Okay. So the first one that I love is Relationship Alive by Neil Satin. And that's, he's a therapist where he talks to scholars and different therapists all about communication tools, um, relationships. It's a really great high level resource. Okay. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to all of these, just in case listeners are scrambling for a pen. Yes. Don't scramble. Uh, the next one that I love is HBR Women at Work. Yeah. And that's an editorial team that again, talks to researchers and gives you practical takeaways. And I've learned so much from that podcast that like it just it's amazing yeah me too um another one that i love is the men talk podcast with connor beaton i think 
think that's really great for men because uh, he he's a therapist and again there's a lot of really great conversations about communication and relationships and the last one I'm going to give you is Francesca uh, Maxim's Wise Girl which is more for minorities and it's really understanding how cultural structures impact your individual uh, behavior and how to come up out of that. So again, um, she is, uh, she actually is a journalist and she talks a lot about race, intergenerational trauma, patriarchy, and it's a great resource for that group. Wow, what a list. And I have to say, it's really interesting that you have the podcast that's targeting women at work, but then also men at work. It's almost like you're exercising media hygiene in your podcasts. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to be aware of the different conversations happening and mm -hmm. to not be stuck in your own silo. So I, I share those four podcasts. I listen to all of them. But, you know, if you need to find something that speaks to you, I believe that's where, that's how you should start. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much. I, I learned a lot. I know the listeners well, too. And uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank oh, you. I would love that. And it's been a pleasure to be here and share this information. Thank you. Isn't Tatiana impressive? What a privilege it is to interview someone who's so knowledgeable and so passionate about a topic that's important to us in our quest to improve our communication skills. Thank you, Tatiana. And best of luck to you in completing your dissertation. In a few months, I just know we'll be calling you Dr. Tatiana Astray. Okay, as promised, I'm now going to summarize everything that we covered in this episode. I categorized the learnings into four areas. First, general insights about emotions. Second, positive emotions. Third, negative emotions. And last, five specific tactics that you can try right now. As I said, you can access this printable summary in the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website under the podcast tab. Okay, are you ready? First, generally, emotions are physiological reactions. So they're different from feelings or moods. They evoke action. That's why you heard Tatiana talk about emotional expressions. She said that in her research, the correlation between feelings or what you think you're expressing and what you're actually expressing is not significant. Emotions are always directed towards an object, a person, or an event. And emotions can be intrapersonal or they can be interpersonal. In other words, they can be internal or they can be social. The three social functions of emotional expressions at the interpersonal level are one, to know intentions, two, to evoke complementary behaviors, and three, to reinforce behaviors. If you've done some reading on EQ or emotional intelligence, that's exactly what we're talking about here. But more simply, we can think of emotional expressions as a body dance that helps people coordinate behavior and maintain relationships. Personally, I find that term body dance very helpful. It reminds me that it's the emotional expressions, not the feelings that really matter. People are responding to the way I'm acting physically, not to what I'm thinking or feeling. As Tatiana said, your intentions mean diddly squat in your interactions with people. It's what you're actually expressing that matters. Got it? That said, Tatiana also highlighted that we all feel the same emotions, regardless of gender and culture. Of course, our culture and upbringing may teach us to suppress the expression of certain emotions, but rest assured that crying or maybe fist-pounding colleague of yours is feeling the exact same set of emotions as everyone else. And those core emotions include fear, disgust, 
contempt, surprise, sadness, and anger. Things like guilt and compassion are considered secondary emotions. It's our culture that provides us with the cues for what's okay to express and how. Do you remember Tatiana said that generally women are allowed to express sadness, but not anger, and men are allowed to express anger, but not sadness? That's kind of sad, don't you think? Okay, moving on to positive emotions. Did you notice that Tatiana's list of six core emotions did not include any positive emotions? Well, I did. There was fear, disgust, contempt, surprise, sadness, and anger. Hmm. Well, Tatiana did mention a few positive emotions. Specifically, we talked about enthusiasm, interest, and validation. These emotional expressions can lead to a more positive relationship and, according to her research, more positive negotiation outcomes. So first, enthusiasm. This is a big one. Tatiana said that based on her research, she tries to explicitly express enthusiasm, particularly at the beginning of an interaction. So this could be literally saying something like, I am so excited to be here and to work with you. Then there's interest, as in demonstrating interest, not just with your words, but also with your body language. Leaning in, making eye contact, focusing on what the other person is saying and doing. And then there's validation, as in, I hear what you're saying, or I understand where you're coming from. These are the common EQ or emotional intelligence scripts that you might be familiar with. All right, moving on to negative emotions. We need to limit the expression of particularly negative emotions, like threats, defensiveness, or fear. But do you remember when Tatiana said that we should never suppress emotions? Suppressing emotions is unhealthy for us physiologically and psychologically. If you're feeling threatened, defensive, or afraid, you need to take a break. So maybe you're in a meeting and you notice someone else is feeling this way. According to the research, it takes about 13 minutes for an emotion to dissipate. So make an excuse to take a break for everyone's sake. Oh, and negative emotional expressions also include whining and complaining. Tatiana said that whining is never a good idea in a negotiation. Well, that's not surprising, is it? But I'm reminding you about this point so that you can share that research with your kids when they're whining. You're welcome. Okay, so now you have a basic understanding of emotions, positive emotions, and negative emotions. Here are some tactics that you can try. There are five. First, there's the one I just talked about. Take a break. Remove yourself from the situation if you're feeling negative emotions that can negatively impact a relationship or a negotiation. Take a time out. Second, if you're feeling negative emotions, try some other relaxation techniques, such as meditating or breathing like the box breathing or deep belly breathing that Tatiana mentioned. I talk about these in detail in episode number 43, Posture and Breathing, with Dr. Nadine Kelly. You can find a link to that episode in the show notes. The third tactic you can try is tracking the positivity ratio. Apparently, we can predict divorce with a 94% accuracy based on the ratio of positive to negative emotional expressions. In romantic relationships, the magic relationship ratio, based on John Gottman's famous research, is five to one. So five positive expressions to one negative expression. In professional relationships, research shows that the praise to criticism ratios higher for higher performing teams. Again, not really surprising, is it? 
So don't hesitate to compliment your colleague. And when you're negotiating, Tatiana's research shows that a ratio of about three positive emotional expressions to one negative resulted in the best negotiation outcomes. So here's your tactic to try. Add some more positive emotional expressions, especially at the beginning of important interactions. Expressing enthusiasm is a great example. So start your email with, I'm really excited about this project. Or start your lunch meeting with a comment like, I'm so happy that we're finally connecting. Keep it at at least three to one, positive to negative. Keep it real, but keep it positive. The fourth piece of tactical advice, emojis. Yes, there are pros and cons. First and foremost, we need to consider context. Emojis are considered very informal. So don't be sending smiley heart emojis in a formal business proposal. Okay, most of us knew that already, right? And we also know that emojis can help clarify emotional expression. A great tip that Tatiana shared with us regarding emojis is that we can use them effectively to signal that we're aligned with someone by matching or mirroring them. In other words, reply with the same emoji that they sent to us. That's a great tip, signaling that you're simpatico. The fifth tactic is more general, taking responsibility for your emotions. Remember Tatiana had this beautiful quote? She said, a lot of times you might sit there and say, oh, that person's kind of making me feel bad, but I promise you, it's not them, it's you. There are several implications for this. For example, according to attribution theory, one attribution bias is that we understand the context and complexity of our own lives, but we dismiss the complexity of others. We need to identify emotional expressions in ourselves and others and talk about them. Remember Tatiana said, just because you learn how to read body language doesn't mean you're a mind reader. I love that. Another implication is that if someone says something and you take it way more personally than you should, there's a good chance that you may have some unresolved trauma that you need to work through. And then there's Tatiana's meta advice. Oh, I hope you got this loud and clear. We have a responsibility to educate ourselves with the tools and scripts and communication skills to articulate our needs. I'm going to leave you now with Tatiana's concluding quote. She said, quote, if you start with the assumption that it's you, now all of a sudden you have the responsibility and the ability to go do something about it. Start investing in yourself by learning to meditate, learning to regulate your emotions, learning what anger and sadness feels like in your body, and start to also pick up communication tools and practicing them. So how to sit, how to speak your boundaries, how to express your needs, how to make demands of people, how to say no to people. And from that space, with all those tools, all your relationships are going to improve. Once you learn to express yourself differently, people are just automatically going to respond to you differently. That is a worthy endeavor. Well put, Tatiana. And that is precisely why we talk about talk, right? I hope you found that helpful. I really encourage you to check out the summary in the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. I also included links to Tatiana's academic research and some other books and research papers focused on emotions. If you enjoyed this episode and you learned something, I have two asks. One, please tell your friends. You can send them an email or post it on social media or yes, tell them in real life. I would really appreciate it. And secondly, if you're not signed up already, 
please sign up for the Talk About Talk email blog, where you'll get free weekly communication skills coaching from me delivered directly to your email inbox. Just go to the talkabouttalk.com website or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. I'd also love to hear what you think about this episode, any ideas you have for future episodes or anything else. Yes, I'm enthusiastic. I'm also interested in what you have to say. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Talk soon.